0: Musicians, platform workers, us—just we appreciate your ministry, church. We thank you for your liberality Uh, tonight. Let's open our Bibles to the Book of Philippians, chapter three. Philippians chapter three. We're going to be in verses 17 through 20. Tonight's sermon is um, um, a—it's a sermon that that you preach over and over again as the time goes by. It's one of those things you gotta. You got to touch on, it's definitely a niche of a sermon, Uh, but if you open up your heart and receive, I believe that God can help some people here tonight. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 20, since 1995, the U.S. military has struggled to recruit people. Our military is suffering a shortage in people. The struggle is not because of technology or dual citizenship or even lack of interest, but one simple reason. That reason is obesity. There are many overweight and obese young adults that are currently ineligible for US military service, which could jeopardize the armed forces and national security. They say in a report that was released, nearly 200 retired military leaders claim that 27% of young adults, or at least 9 million, 17- to 24-year-olds are too fat for military service. According to the military service, being overweight or obese turns out to be the leading medical reason why applicants fail to qualify for military service, is according to a report. Um, And the title of this report is actually called Too Fat to Fight. And the authors pointed out that otherwise excellent recruit prospects, some of them with generations of sterling military service in their family history are being turned away because they are just too overweight. Between 1995 and 2008, the proposition of potential recruits who failed their physicals each year because they were overweight weight, rose nearly 70% according to mission readiness. What a sad story. And this is also true in Christianity. Many people fall into a trap of no restraint on what we can say as pleasure, desires, and even food, causing them to spiritually be too fat to fight or endure in the spiritual warfare. Paul calls it, they've allowed their bellies to be their god. God. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 20, says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is, dis- is destruction, their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to preach a sermon that I have entitled, The Belly God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment that you've given us. God, I pray the grace, God, to minister here tonight. God, to hide behind your cross. And I'm allowing, Father, that your spirit may convict us, God, in every single area. God, even in these intimate, God, private areas. God, I pray that you will begin to move, Father, and touch us and shape us and mold us, help us to become, God, fit, Father, to fight in this spiritual battle. God, we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said tonight, amen. I want to start off with my first thought, and that is access to excess. We are living in a time where everything is available to us. Especially living in America, we can have anything we want at any time we want it. This is good and bad. Logistically, it could be a blessing. There are things that become accessible to us that allow us to do life in an easier manner. There are vehicles that are accessible to us. There's material that's accessible to us, education and all these different things, but it's also bad in the sense that it can be a curse because our flesh begins to give in to everything. It's having access to excess and it creates a problem for us. The issue, the issues are that we don't have to withhold ourselves from anything that we want. Do you understand that here tonight? That there's a free will that was given to you. Apostle Paul in the Bible says that everything is permissible to you, but not everything is good for you. And the point that he's making, he says you can do whatever you want that if your body allows you to do it, then it's permissible for you. No one's going to stop you. But just because it brings pleasure, it doesn't mean that it is good for you. Not only do we have access to anything we want, but we also have a lot of it available to us. See, it doesn't help that our present culture and role models tell us that it is wrong to withhold any pleasure from ourselves. You'll hear phrases like follow your heart or just do what your heart tells you and give yourself up to uh, whatever you feel like and just do you and make yourself happy. And you have all of these very generic cliches that really all it means is just give yourself up to your carnality. That our emotional and mental health is compromised when we say no to ourselves, it's probably one of the biggest lies from hell. And to be honest with you, we begin to see this also affecting the church. No doubt the world is suffering in this issue, but can you blame them? Can you blame the world for indulging in sin? Can you blame the person who hasn't whose eyes have not been opened to Jesus Christ, can you blame them for giving themselves up to everything, their carnality, their flesh desires? You really can't. But this very spirit has creeped into the church. In our scripture, Paul is encouraging and instructing people in the church on how to successfully press on towards our goal in the walk with God. He does this by telling us what to do and exposing why others have drifted away, why they've backslid. William Barclay gives us some insightful history on the Philippian church. It says they were in the church at Philippi, people whose whose conduct was an open scandal and who by their lives showed themselves to be the enemies of the cross of Christ. It is quite certain that they lived gluttonous and immoral lives and use their so-called Christianity to justify themselves. See, commentators seem to think that Paul was exposing those who were using Christianity to advance their carnal desires. And you can go down the list or even use your imagination for a second to think what that could be like. They're using the word of God. They're using the name of God to justify these vain pursuits of, um, of, of carnality. The way he does this is by telling the congregation, imitate those who imitate us. We read it in our text, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He says, listen, don't put your eyes on those who you see are backslidden, who you see are enemies of the cross of Christ. And he goes on, he says, the end is their destruction. You might not see them being destroyed at this moment, but if you follow them long enough, you'll see that the end Is destruction because their God is their belly and they glory in their shame and their minds are set on earthly things. It's this very spirit that somewhere they've given themselves up to anything that they want to do. It is the exact opposite of what the uh, fruits of the spirits involve, which is the fruit of self-control. He makes an interesting statement in verse 19. Their end is destruction, and their God is their belly. Belly is kind of a funny word if you think about it. Could have said stomach. Could have said gut. He says belly. The word belly comes from a Greek word that means desire for gratification of the body. Physical desires, a desire, a carnal desire. It's also the same word. It's the same word that's used in Romans 16, 18, where it says, For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. That word "appetite" is the same word that's used for the word belly. See, Paul here, if we can be attentive to our sermon and to our text, Paul is dealing not with a weight issue. The problem wasn't so much that he had fat disciples. But he had disciples who, had, who lacked dominion. There was men and women in the church that lacked dominion. They lacked self-discipline. They had issues with submission. They had all kinds of things. It's not all about gluttony, but gluttony is an issue. Just consider what lust, gluttony, and hedonism have in common. They all have to do with not restraining yourself from what is accessible to you. And Paul warns us of this unrestrained access to access. 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful, or in some translations permissible, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And that's life. That is a truth of life. There are things in life, to be very frank, there are foods in life that are good in taste but not good for your health. Amen. And as a matter of most of the food that's not, that's good is not good for your health, right? That's just the way life works sometimes. It's just the reality of life that you, it is lawful for you to do whatever you want. You ever had somebody tell you that in in an argument? You're going back and forth. You're trying to help. It's like what I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you can, but that's not what I'm arguing with you. You can go, you can jump off a clip if you want. You can do whatever you want, but what you're doing is not helpful for you. So Paul is dealing with a church who is uncontrolled, unruly. They're not self-controlled. They're not self-disciplined. They talk the game. They talk like Christians. But in reality, if you had one of those, one of those radars that you can kind of see, I wish they made a spiritual radar. Maybe you guys remember watching Dragon Ball Z, and then you, you put on this lens, and in the lens, you, you put it on, and, and you see a number. And it's like, oh, this guy's about 1,000. You know, it's like, and then they'll fight. They'll make a decision. What if we had a spiritual one? where it's like, you, it's just like, and you put it on. it's like, oh, He's fat. <laughs> he's too big. He's not going to catch up. I got him. That is this, this, this idea that Paul is looking at his church. He's looking at the church in Philippi, and he's telling the people there, he says, listen, imitate me and imitate those that are imitating me, because there are a lot of people there who their God is not the God that we serve. Their God is their own belly. They're giving themselves to whatever they desire. That's really the issue of gluttony. It's not so. It's not so much that you ate so much that now you're stuffed, right? How many of you guys that ha- that happens at times, right? You go to a Chinese buffet and you get and it gets out of hand, right? You stay there a little bit longer than what you wish you would. Have. <laughs> That's not. You're not. You're not. You know. You can imagine if that if that was the case. You, one day you went to a Chinese buffet and then you you got in a car accident after that buffet and you stand in front of God and you're stuffed and God's like. To hell. <laughs> to hell with you. <laughs> you, can't, you can't, you're too fat. No, that's, that's not the case. The problem with gluttony is you can't tell yourself no. You can't tell yourself no. You can't look at yourself and say, hey, I need to control myself. It takes me to a second thought, and that is muscular Christianity. There's a book that I recommend by... Um, Brett McKay, he also has a podcast. It's called The Art of Manliness. The book is called Muscular Christianity. I I, um, recommend it to mainly men, but everybody should read it. It says, the fact that Christian culture became more feminized in the 19th century isn't in dispute. The shift has been well documented by Christians and non-Christian scholars alike. Part of that feminization has to do with the lack of self-discipline in our appetite and exercise to the point of committing gluttony. In other words, he said Christianity has become more feminized because people aren't willing to discipline themselves to the point where they're willing to just release themselves to whatever they want. The term muscular Christianity is a philosophical movement that originated in England in the mid-19th century. characterized by a belief of a patriotic duty, a discipline, a self-sacrifice, a level of manliness, and the moral and physical beauty of athleticism. And his thought was that if you were going to be a Christian, you needed to be able to treat your body well. Muscular Christians believe the follower of Jesus cannot afford to ignore or mistreat his body. And this doesn't quite completely make sense to us because we have technology. So we can get on airplanes And in a few hours, we can be preaching the gospel on the other side of the world. But at one point in life, it meant the world for the gospel for men to be fit. Right? This is why you get the images of Paul with a six-pack and and Moses with, like, these big old muscles because they walked everywhere. And it's like, at some point, that was the representation of a man of God, somebody who was fit for the task. Somebody that it wasn't going to be an excuse, the, the physicality. That physical health could either be a great aid or a significant hindrance to live in the gospel. And if we'll be honest with ourselves, that's still true today. We can go on with physical health. We can speak about mental health. We can speak about several aspects of our health that if we don't take care of ourselves, if we're gluttonous, And not only in food, but just in general, just hedonists and vain pursuits of just what makes us happy. Then, yes, we're going to affect the calling that God has given us. This is true in two ways. One, if you can't gain dominion over our flesh, we we won't do much for the kingdom of God. If we can't gain dominion over our flesh, we won't do much for the kingdom of God. And that can get as practical as this. If you can't control your diet, what makes you think you're going to control demons? If you can't say no to yourself, what makes you think you're going to go into the spiritual realm of, of, of all of this world and be able to, to lead people to heaven? You know, to have the most impact on earth for the kingdom, we need healthy bodies. That's just the reality of it. Physical health isn't everything, but it is something. It is important. Given Jesus, think about this, Jesus had the ability to fast for 40 days. Isn't that crazy? We can't even comprehend that. And his his seeming stamina in walking from town to town Entirelessly tirelessly ministering to large crowds, the scriptures imply that he had excellent control over his body and was in good physical health. Thomas Hughes from Oxford said, The least of the muscular Christians has a hold of the old chivalrous and Christian belief that a man's body is given him to be trained and brought into subjection. That sounds familiar, that's what Paul says. And then used for the protection of the weak the advancement of all the righteous causes, and the subduing of the earth which God has given to the children of men. He says, somewhere your members, this is what Paul says too, he says, the members of your body should be given up to righteousness. That somewhere that our physical bodies and our health cannot be an excuse of why we cannot do things for God in the long run. See, gluttony is not only a health issue, but it's also a spiritual one. There is no doubt that the Bible condemns an unrestrained indulgence of appetite. Proverbs 25, 16 says, If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have, you, you have your fill of it and vomit. Think about that. What an, incredible, what an incredible text. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you. That's hard for Americans. That's hard for some people. What do you mean only enough for me? It's free. If it's free, it's free. I can take as much as I want. But that's, that's not the problem. That was the case where we all lined up at food banks. You know, just getting all the free stuff. No, there's something spiritual about it. If you found it, eat enough for you. Leave some for the rest. Leave some for the needy. Lest you have your fill of it and then vomit it. Like it, was, it was no good for you. You were only going to eat what you were going to eat Anyway. I got this revelation in Honduras when I went when, when we lived in Honduras we were, we started there, there's no buffets in Honduras just in case you guys were wondering theres you can't just walk and there's an e star you know somewhere or so, so some type of Asian Hunan inn or whatever it's called <laughs> theres just this just doesn't happen you get there and you order and you get a number one and that's it or if you get a number two and you can't mix and match them it just doesn't, doesn't work that way. One time I, I I wanted a number one, but I wanted no picos. And it's like, well then get a number two. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want the bread on the number two, I want the number one. Anyway, that was that's a bad <laughs> it was back and forth. That's that's what ends up happening. But we realized and there as my wife and I, that we're only gonna eat what we're gonna eat anyway. So the whole idea of buffet is catering to people who are gluttonous. Right, I mean, you kind of think about it. I'm not saying don't go. I mean, we, 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 we go once a year or something like that, you know, but it's like we get there and we eat a plate, and that's what we're going to eat anyway. But just the thought that you can have all you can eat. If you have found honey, eat only enough for you. Proverbs 23.2 says, and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. That's, that's a pretty pretty heavy one. The scripture is in context of sitting with a king, which represents someone who doesn't have any restrictions to appetite. In other words, just because others do it, it doesn't mean that we should do it. Do your own study of Proverbs 23. is an incredible t- chapter. In the presence of a king, he says, put a knife to your throat so you're not given to appetite. He so says, don't do what they're doing. In Deuteronomy, Moses links gluttony to stubbornness and rebellion. Deuteronomy chapter twenty-one verses eighteen through twenty-one says: If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of the father of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders of the of his city at the gate of uh, the place where he lives, and they shall say to the elders of the city, this, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones, so you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Because he ate too much? No, that's not the case. Don't Simplify what our text is saying. This, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. That's the issue. What you see on the outside is lack of obedience, gluttony, and drunkenness. But the root of it is he's stubborn and rebellious. He has a lot more to do than just wait. But an overall unrestrained pleasure and unrestrained of the flesh. I ran into this quote that says, all the seven deadly sins are self-destroying, morbid appetites, but in the early stages at least, lust and gluttony, avarice and sloth know some gratification. You think about that, lust, gluttony, avarice, or even being lazy as sloth, there is a gratification to it. Peter DeVries said, gluttony is an emotional escape, a sign that something is eating us. At the end of the day, what I'm saying is that Christianity requires strong people. Strong, not in the sense that you can carry heavy weight. Strength in the spiritual and the physical. That you can say no to yourself. When we read the Bible, we can't help but to notice all the call to action and overcoming our enemies and obstacles. You read the whole Old Testament, the book of Judges, Kings, and Chronicles, these books of war, and we know from reading the Bible that our God is a God of war and a call of action. He tells Joshua, like I said on Wednesday, God tells Joshua, only be strong and courageous, that somewhere there is this call to go into the ends of the earth and and, 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 and pursue this calling, this destiny, this heroic mindset that God sent his only begotten son to come and die for us, and that's our portion, and we are to mimic that sacrifice and that compassion and that love for people. It doesn't happen through people who are gluttons. We can't help but to notice that we are called to overcome hell. The Bible says, I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell shall not Overcome them, that we are called to overcome our flesh. That we're called to overcome the attacks from this world that hates us and that hates our Savior. Just take a moment and consider the words that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 and 20. Put yourself in, the, in their shoes, in theirs in their world, outside. Or they're not living in 2023. They're not living in Houston, where we can get in our trucks and and we can carry a gun, and we can go on our ways, and we have credit cards. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Matthew 28:18. And Jesus came and said to him, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was not only a spiritual command. It wasn't that somewhere they came together and they sang to the ends of the earth from Hillsong, and they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, I feel you. I know I know what you're talking about. No, what it required for them was this physical obedience. They, If they were going to go to the ends all authority and go therefore and make disciples of all nations if it was going to happen if all was going to happen it was going to require their feet their legs their sacrifice it was going to require their body their discipline it goes on to say teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you John sixteen thirty three says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. My favorite president is President Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt. I, there's a real um, good biography. The biography is called Straneous Life. Um, it's, um, I forget who the author is, but it's a very good one. There's several biographies, but there's a real good one, the Straneous Life. I recommend it. Uh, he's one of the main people who backed up muscular, the muscular Christianity movement. And this is what really brought it to the mainstream because an American president is who backed up this movement. Brett McKay said this about it. He says, Building up the physical body gave a firmer frame on which to hang the gentler virtues of Christianity. That was an incredible statement. I'm going to see that one more time. Building up the physical body gave a firmer frame on which to hang the gentler virtues of Christianity. It says, without such structure supporting the faith's softer side, its virtues tend to droop and sag and come off as, as, as mealy rather than noble and respectable. In other words, he's saying we need some strong people who can hold these virtues. i want to close on my third point, and that is defeating the belly God. Dominion is something we must fight for. Fighting in Christianity also has a physical and spiritual aspect to us. We can't just wait around in hope that God will come through for us. Matthew chapter 11 verse 12 says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, say it with me now, the kingdom of heaven have suffered violence, and the violence take it by force, or the violent take it by force. See, violent gives us the impression that we must do something about our life. There's people here, listen, you have all the intentions in the world to do something for God. But you're not taking the decisions and the actions, therefore you're not violent. Here are some practical tips that we can speak about here tonight to gain dominion over our belly. Can we gain dominion over our belly? We went out to lunch and we didn't get enough food, so I'm hungry. And tonight, <laughs> uh, we, had a, we had a funny experience with, um, at our fellowship um, in between services. And I had to look at my plate and said, This is what you're going to eat today. <laughs> you have no choice. So let's talk about some practical tips to gain dominion over our belly. Number one, very simple avoid gluttony. This means fight for self control. We eat to survive not to stuff our face every day, okay? We eat to survive. We eat to satisfy, to gain enough energy to go on for the rest of our day, not to stuff your face. You know, eating should be a benefit to us in our spirit, not the other way around. You ever ate so much that you can't move? (laughs) It's like you're just like, oh. You got to unbutton things, and you're like, oh. Man, it was supposed to help you, but, it, you know, food should give you energy. <laughs> That's what it should do. It should give you energy and enough, and enough power to just a to continue to go, but if you do too much of it, then it drags you down, right? It begins, to, it begins to push you down. So you can do so much of it that it doesn't. This is the problem with gluttony. It's just there's so much. There's parameters and limits to everything. So avoid gluttony number two fast fast ask you let me ask a question you don't have to answer you don't have to expose yourself but what was the last time you fasted When was the last time you fasted and then the next question is what are you waiting for are you waiting for the fellowship fast are you waiting for pastor to call a fast I mean what are you what, what are you waiting to run out of food I mean to have a reason to fast <laughs> Tony Evans, he speaks about fasting, and he said, fasting is never convenient. Like, there's never going to come a time where you're just like, hey, you know what, today I'm going to, I feel good, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast. It's always going to be a, there's always going to be a level of sacrifice. So practice fasting. Fasting is, it's just as, as it is spiritual, is also practical. You know they have things called intermittent Fasting. Where you control your body and you only eat for a certain amount of time. We're so spoiled in America. We think we should have three meals a day. Yeah, some some of you guys, you thought that was doctrine. You thought that was in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> yeah, the three meals a day—that's uh, that's Matthew chapter six. That's that's where that's at. Right? <laughs> that's just you know. Can I tell you that? That's not the way life worked back in the day. When we were we were nomadic scavenger um, hunters, they 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 were they caught a horse or something and they will kill it and feast on it and not eat until they caught another one. It, was, it wasn't just breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's not, that's not what would happen. So fast. Fast. Pick a day out of the week and fast. You don't, I mean, just, just do what you have to do to have that practice. You know, most of the men you look up to, they fast not told by anybody else. They figure it out, they find it, and they, they have this practice. They fast. And then number three, imitate those who are walking accordingly. There's a level of Christianity that requires imitation, and this is where the church world kind of gets scared about it. They'll use words like coats and, and um, keep your focus on Jesus and not man and and I get some of that stuff is true. You, got, you do got to be careful with those things, but discipleship requires imitation. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. That is the very first action and in, in, uh, order that he gives the, the Philippian church. Imitate. The idea of imitating the word is where we get the word mime from, which is, you ever seen a mime? Anybody who's been maybe to Los Angeles or New York, they have mimes on the, on the streets and they, they start doing like the, you know, and they're, they're doing the box and they, you know, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll go into imitation and they'll begin to imitate one another and they'll do all these things. So maybe impersonation, have you guys ever heard of that? When they try to mimic and try to mimic a voice, and they try, to, they try to sound like it. That's a thought. Imitation is, what you watch me do, do that. It says, imitate me. There's a pattern that's given to us. And that's the way Christianity should work. That's the way church works. My pastor gives me a pattern to follow. And I do my best to follow that pattern. And when I fall... I always have that pattern I can go back to. Let's read our scripture one more time as we close. Philippians 3, verse 17 through 20, it says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's people here tonight, listen, your altar call, your challenge here tonight is a very simple one. It's God, help me to gain control of my flesh. Help me to submit my mind, my carnal desires. Everybody has them. Everybody has them. We've read the scripture the, he who says he, doesn't, he has not sin is a liar. We, we all have those desires. The name of the game is dominion, is gaining dominion over those things. It's not living a life, just giving yourself up to anything that makes you feel good. It's called hedonism, by the way. Hedonism is the pursuit of, of happiness. This carnal Happiness that it's all about us. It's all about this selfish desire. Let's 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 break that here tonight and say, so, you know what? My mind, God, is going to be focused on you, and the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to fast. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to serve in the kingdom of God. I'm going to imitate those who I see have a good example, and, and I see the blessing of God on them. There's, those are the ones I'm going to follow, and I'm going to gain dominion over my flesh so that when God looks at me. He can't say what he said about the Philippian church, which is their belly is their God. I would hate for God to say that about me, That's somewhere I'm not obeying him, but I'm obeying myself. Does that make sense here tonight? I want to encourage you tonight to be very sincere with yourself and examine your habits, examine those things that you do at home and come to the altar and be honest with God and say, God, I have things that I need to change. I've been giving myself up to vain desires, and I need to change that. I need your help. Can I get every head bowed and every eye closed? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And respect to God and respect to your neighbor. You're here tonight. You're not saved. You're not right. Well, God, if you're to die at this moment, heaven will not be your home. And you want to change that. You want to, re- you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to be saved. That's you. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you tonight. Maybe you're backslidden in a person who used to be right with God, but today you're far from him. You very well know who you are. This isn't a call to shame you. Bible says that there's angels that rejoice at the salvation of a soul, and this is what we do. If angels rejoice, believe me, the church needs to rejoice. If you're here tonight, you're backslidden. You want to reconcile, come back to Christ. That's you. Would you raise your hand? I see that hand in honest heart. Anybody else? God's dealing with you. I see that hand in honest heart. I see that hand, honest hearts. Hallelujah. God's dealing with hearts, God's dealing with peoples in this. Is all that we can desire here. Quickly, last call. You're not saved. You're not right with God. You're backslidden. You want to get right. You want to give your life to Jesus. Raise your hand. Amen. Very well, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed in respect to these decisions um, here tonight. If you raise your hand, would you look up at me tonight? Did you mean that? Did you mean that? Did you mean that? I believe you did. Why don't you stand up to your feet? I want you to come forward. We need three altar workers here tonight. Amen. Wonderful to see. Brave hearts make decisions. Saying, you know what? I don't want to live my life like that anymore. I want to change the order of the service. I want to speak to Christians. I want to speak to the church. You know, what's interest, interesting, beloved, is that Paul was speaking to the church. as a letter written to the Philippian church. And he's trying to help those that are still salvageable. And there's a lot of different things that we don't necessarily hear from that scripture. What we know is that Paul says, he says, I've warned you about what these people are doing. And now I'm even warning you in tears. No doubt there's love and compassion involved there. But I want to tell you here tonight, listen, one one of the things that's going to help you live for God in the long run is learning how to control your appetite is saying, you know what, God? I'm going to submit my body to your will. Let's all stand up to our feet, every single one of us in this place. If you're at the altar, you can stay praying. I want to encourage you to stay at the altar. But those that are in your seats, stand up. Let's open up these altars. Come talk to Jesus here tonight. Oh, let's make this altar sacred. We don't want to leave. Listen, we're not in a hurry tonight. This is a place where we come and speak to our God. We're here because we have these issues and we want God to help us. We want God to shape us, mold us, get this thing out of us so that we can live freely for God. Hallelujah. These altars are open. We're going to sing out this song. Oh, we thank you, Jesus.